Hey everybody, this is Russ. I just wanted to jump in and mention a couple quick things. This is the long-awaited, long-thought-lost episode of Real Heroes with our conversation on Cowboys and Aliens. And uh, part of the reason it's long-delayed is through no fault of his own, just kind of one of those weird technical glitches. Uh, Aaron Newworth's audio uh, just had some real problems with it, and it just took some time to try and see if we could fix it or do some recovery or make some changes and uh, as it turns out uh, what you're going to hear is about the best that we could get it um, so hopefully it won't be too bad we apologize for the the poor audio quality with this one but we've recorded episodes since and everything is good like I said just one of those kind of weird crazy things uh, anyway so we hope you enjoy this episode of Cowboys and Aliens comics movies music Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The HHW LOD Podcast Network proudly presents Real Heroes, the podcast that takes a critical look at comic book movies. The good. I am Iron Man. The bad. I punish the guilty and the worthless. I am the law! Did you guys ever think we'd actually record this episode, or it was just going to continuously be a cluster of some sort or another? I, I really thought we were going to get to this. Not until tonight. I never thought that until tonight. Yeah, and even tonight has provided its own challenges. But here we are. Uh, this is Russ, and the Real Heroes panel for tonight is Jim Dietz and Mr. Aaron Newworth. Finally, guys, we're here. Thanks for being a part of it. I, I just wish the movie could have <laughs> been a better one for us to finally be able to talk about. Maybe there's a correlation. It took us like about three years to get our second Preacher episode done, so I don't feel that bad. I'm sensing a correlation between quality of the movie and our uh, time between. But we did we have had a few stinkers, so that, that may not really hold true. I'm putting a lot of faith in the wheel at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we are here to talk about Cowboys and Aliens um, at, at very long last. Um, so we'll, go, we'll do what we always do on Real Heroes here. We'll run down some of the stats, numbers and all that good stuff before we get started on uh, actual episode discussion. Um, so Cowboys and Aliens was released on July 29th of 2011, so just over two years ago. It had a domestic gross of $100.2 million, a foreign gross of, of $74.5 million. Uh, so roughly, you know, worldwide take right around $175 million dollars. Um, a budget of 163 million, and I think that's what really kind of did it in. I think there were a lot of high hopes on this one, especially uh, with Favreau coming off of Iron Man. That you know this would this would do a little better, uh, and it and it definitely fell short. Well, I mean, you have like uh, one of the biggest action heroes, uh, you know, actors out there right now, Daniel Craig, in a movie with you know Olivia Wilde, Harrison Ford, you know, who is you know genuine box office gold i mean how else would some of his movies get made you know like paranoia or whatever and i mean i i could see where they would expect it like you said favreau had just come off of iron man uh this was wasn't this the movie he took instead of iron man 3 uh no oh was, no that was no, the magic I, kingdom i'm sorry that's magic yeah. yeah yeah i'm sorry i got a little behind the scenes stuff going on with why he didn't take iron man 3 as well right. that's a different topic yeah yeah, and I mean, you know, definitely he had Iron Man. So one of the things I found interesting when I saw the budget of 163 million, I, I went and looked back at the budgets for Iron Man and Iron Man 2, which both came out before this one. Um, Iron Man had a budget of 140 million, and Iron Man 2 had a budget of 200 million. And I think maybe, arguably, the budget for Iron Man 2 might have been a little more inflated, maybe because of actor salaries and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But this movie. It's. It seemed like for all it cost, it didn't seem that much more of an effects bonanza than some, than either either of the Iron Man movies. So, I don't know if a lot of this was location shooting or the fact that maybe 
it was kind of at a peak for Daniel Craig, Olivia Wilde, and Harrison Ford. You know, Harrison Ford obviously is going to command a pretty good salary. So well, I don't so know if so Daniel Craig at that point too. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's a big cast, and like I mean, it has like we'll get to this. It has like eight writers, and has John Favreau's involvement, the, the Spielberg and Brian Gray and Ryan Howard's involvement. Like it has a, a lot of there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen. So yeah. A lot of yeah. Paid on this movie. And you know, I'm going to say about part, too many cooks in the pod, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Part of it too is I think maybe a, a lot of the location shooting. I mean, this seemed to have a ton of location shooting, and I know location shooting can be pretty expensive, um, as opposed to. I mean, you know, constructing sets and stuff isn't cheap either, but if you if a, if a, a majority of your movie takes place on, you know, a, a few big set pieces, then you know that that it, it's a little more contained, but I think, you know, a long location uh in Aaron, you could probably either validate this or tell me I'm crazy, but I would think a long location shoot, especially out in the middle of nowhere, um might get a little costly. I mean, for being <laughs> I think, I mean, for 163 million, that's, that seems too much for the first in a series called Cowboys and Aliens, which is, you know, an unproven property. And so it, it, it seems like it's already, like, has a, a budget far too wide for a Western, which would essentially be a pretty simple movie to, to, uh, you know, find locations for and shoot on. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's trying to, it's setting itself much like a movie like a John Ford Western movie would. So you're going on right. to these, Rural locations, as opposed to yeah, as opposed to building giants. So it, it's a little more. It's actually confusing to me as to why it cost as much as it did. Even though I mean, yeah, it has some set stuff and like obvious CG effects. I, I mean, I think it really just comes down to all the people getting paid for this movie. Yeah, I think I think Russ and Aaron, you both kind of hit it on the head. I think most of the money went to actor salaries. I mean, like. Like you said, you got Daniel Craig and, and, uh, on, on an upswing, Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. We also have like Sam Rockwell and Olivia Wilde, Keith Carradine, like they're all going to get paid. Clancy Brown, Paul Dano, you know, I mean, they're fairly decent, well-known, you know, character actors. They're not going to come cheap either. So it's the kind of thing where like, like Lone Ranger this past, this past summer was 250 million or yeah. whatever. And like, there are movies that shouldn't cost this amount of money because they're, Western, there's so many Westerns that exist because they're cheap movies to make. And so it's, it's, it's yeah. just a little, it's a little strange to me how it could cost something like this amount of money. It's one of those movies, too, when you look back, it's like, you know, they probably could have made this a little cheaper. Um, and it, you know, probably wouldn't have impacted the, the lack of box office success. But it, it probably would have allowed them to be more creative with some of the ideas as well because they yeah. didn't their feet in terms of how much money they have or how much little money they have right. to spend as, as opposed to, right. hey, we got all this money, let's do whatever. Like, yeah. So the opening weekend was 36.4 and you know I think that's when they knew it was in trouble right off the bat because a July this was considered somewhat of a tentpole I I guess. I mean, I think it was more in the names attached. I mean, Favreau at that point could do no wrong and then like I said you had you know Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford and for it to only pull in 36.4 on the opening weekend, you know that that's your biggest take for movies. It's it's extremely rare that a second or third week of a wide release movie is going to have a you know an upward trend or even even a flat you know trend that you know typically movies are going to fall off the cliff you know you get your big opening weekend and then you get anywhere from what a 30 to 60% drop is is pretty normal and then it usually just kind of goes down from there so this movie was kind of in trouble right off the bat it definitely hit on the side of of those kind of Comic-Con buzz movies, something like Scott Pilgrim or Dread, where it has a lot of anticipation maybe from a certain set, for a certain group, which is in this case the Comic-Con group, but it also happens to be one of the big tentpole movies that have that kind of anticipation. And that that has proven not to really translate to giant box office dollars. And yeah, so the movie is dependent on Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford to sell it because Cowboys and Aliens that's that's a very specific title, and that's gonna that's gonna play to a specific audience. So having people like James Bond and Indiana Jones, like people America loves, and I mean obsessively the world loves, it um it would you'd think you'd hope Universal certainly hoped that it would translate to box office success. It yeah. just it didn't in this case, and it didn't help that the movie, which we'll get to, is not very good. <laughs> yeah, it almost seems like this is a case of a studio trying to formulize, uh concepts and people and just be like oh if we put this together with this together with this it's going to equal a big barrel of money coming into our office and uh, as we see that sometimes i don't think you can necessarily apply a mathematical formula to everything 
and that you have to sometimes take chances and be willing to not make it so, so cookie cutter and so vanilla and to, to be a little bold with, with what you're doing. But be that as it may, uh, the rotten, looking at the Rotten Tomatoes scores, it's 44% rotten, I should say, um, on the critic side and 44% on the audience side, which is, you know, yeah, well, depending on your, on your take. Um, and, and IMDb gives it a, a 6.1 rating. But what, what I found it interesting because as we've done all of these episodes for Real Heroes and talked about all these movies, typically the audience score is significantly higher than the the actual critic score. You know, we've seen a lot of disparity, uh, especially when movies fall towards the low side on the critic side. The the audience side seems to be a lot higher. So this is the first one that is very close in both. So it it just leads me to believe that the critics you know, we're kind of right on this one with the audience. It seems like maybe the, I mean, the comic property, I mean, compared to other movies that you guys have done, like what Wolverine and Superman and Superman Returns and, uh, you know, movie, those are all movies that are properties that people know. And I, I would say, I mean, the audience was probably for the most part, just as fresh as the, as the, you know, the critics self-included going into the screening. So, I mean, everyone's, you know, kind of starting off on the same plane, I guess. And, right. Um, it, it, especially in terms of people that would vote on, like it's, no, it's, it's the the Rotten Tomato kind of score would kind of expand to a larger crowd of people as opposed to just like the comic geeks that went to see it that weekend. Yeah, it's not like there's a right. huge uh, Cowboys and Aliens fan base to begin with, like there is for say Wolverine or Blade or you know any of these other characters. So I can definitely see that right. that affecting the you know why the audience score is so close to the Metacritic score. Yeah. So getting into the cast-crew section, uh, as we mentioned several times already, it was directed by John Favreau, who, you know, as we know from Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Zathora, you know, he's had, I would say, a lot of success. And I think even some of his movies that are lesser known, I think from a directorial standpoint, I, th- I think he's done a pretty good job. I think he definitely has the eye of a director and and done a, a really good job. And I... Of all the faults with this movie, as as we'll get into, I don't really lay them at the feet of John Favreau specifically. I can tell you where the main faults of this movie are: is the fact it was written by committee. I mean, it's not so <laughs> yeah. much. The, I mean, direct. I mean, directorially, it's fine. You know, it's 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 Favreau. You know, and and you know, kind of know what you're getting when you get into that. But I mean, we have um, the original comic book plus eight people credited, five screenplays and three screen story credits, including. Orson Kurtzman, who, you know, did Star Trek and done uh, our, uh, Sleepy Hollow and a ton of other scripts. Damon Lindelof, of course, from the Lost, you know, the J.J. Abrams camp, you know. I mean, all kinds of people jumped in on a screenplay. And, I mean, nine times out of ten, when you write a screenplay by committee like this, you're going to end up with just, you know, focus group, kind of just, you know, pap that just turns out to be, like, not very good, you know. Not to mention input from producer Steven Spielberg and Ron Howard yeah, and Brian Grazer. Exactly. Like, it's yeah. Like, it, yeah. What, it seems like it seems less like look at all these creative people and this thing they were able to make, and more like a, a cramming in the doorway where like someone's struggling to get out and like give you the right option. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to kind of run... question. I, I do like uh, John Favreau, and I did think he did the best he could with the movie. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we've we've talked a, a, a lot and laid a lot of the issues with this movie at the feet of the writers. Uh, so to kind of run that down, like Jim mentioned, we've got Roberto Orsi and uh, Alex Kurtzman. We've got Damon Lindelof, Mark Fergus. Really, I guess I should say the the pairing of Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby, who both have a lot of screen credits on Iron Man, Children of Men, um, and, and uh, Tomb Raider, and, and a bunch of other movies. So they seem to be like the Orsi and Kurtzman uh, you know, in, in a different in a different vein, Steve Odekirk, um, whose credits uh, include Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, yeah. Nutty Professor, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, and In Living Color, the the TV series from the '80s on Fox. And my guess was they probably hired him just like they do, uh, similar, I guess, maybe to like when they hire JMS or Joss Whedon to kind of script Doctor and maybe uh, adjust the tone or add you know some humor to it or lighten it up a little bit. Is my is my guess. Yeah, those those classic comedic beats you still remember from Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, of course, this whole thing is based on the Scott Mitchell Rosenberg Platinum Studios comic Cowboys and Aliens, 
which I have actually never read. This is the first time I think we're doing a show where I have not read the original work. You know, we've all read various Superman stories or Batman or the X-Men or, you know, whatever. But I have never, I didn't read this material. And from what I understand, this book was originally written for the sole purpose of trying to shop this out to a studio. This this is much like the radical comics approach where we're going to use this comic studio to test the waters and and get this IP out there. And hopefully with all this rash of comic book movie stuff that somebody's going to pick it up and take it. Yeah, that's... Uh... That is true. I've actually have read the uh, the comic book, which is it's it's fine. It's nothing special. Um, it's it's just more or less like this is what happens when you put cowboys and aliens together, and here's all the beats, which the movie kind of does. Like it doesn't really st- the stories are certainly different. It's more title, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure it was something like Steven Spielberg saw the cover of the comic and, des- and decided to pick it up immediately. Like that was the reason why he got involved, just based on hey, that sounds neat. I'll give this to somebody. That was, yeah, that's that was part of the reason they put out the comic too, is they could, so they can nail down that title. Yeah, you know, just seeing, yeah. You know, yeah. just, it's kind of like you know, snakes on a plane. The the title tells you everything you need to know about the movie. It's it's one of those very concise, you know, um, uh, eponymous titles, you know. Which is fine. I mean, the idea of cowboys and aliens is something I, I mean, that I'll better go by saying this was my, I believe, my second most anticipated movie of. Of the uh, of the summer when it came out, the first was like Super Eight, I believe, actually. Mm. Uh, both both of which disappointed me a little bit, although I like Super Eight. Um, but I was I was intrigued by this, and I was intrigued by like the initial trailer for the movie. I mean, it it, it had what it needed to yeah. be to be just a fun summer blockbuster. And that's what I wanted to get. Yeah. I mean, we'll get we'll get to the fun of the movie, but I mean, the premise is sound. I mean, it's as far as fun movies go. Like, yeah. Yeah. The score was done by Harry Gregson Williams, who had done uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, a few of the Shrek movies, and The Town. And also, also uh, probably, uh, he really made his bones made doing the music for Metal Gear Solid, though. Uh, oh, gotcha, especially gotcha. Metal Gear Solid 2, I think that was where he really like broke into like doing movie soundtracks and stuff after that. He was in the um, kind of the, the re, um, Hans Zimmer, Jerry Bruckheimer collaboration, like he did um, Enemy, of the, Enemy of the State. Like he, he comes from that kind of school of right. action gotcha. score. Yeah, exactly. And I thought the score was, was pretty good. I mean, it kind of had that westerny beat to it and, you know, kind of had that, you know, that melody at the beginning, especially when, you know, the guy comes riding into town or, you know, when he's trying to get from point A to point B. Um, it, it was fine. I mean, I didn't, you know, I'm not going to run out and buy the score, but it, but it was good enough. I like the opening track, actually. Like, I, I believe I have it, actually, on iTunes because I bought it so I could use it on the... Um... When our out now episode reviewed uh, Cowboys, Cowboys and Aliens, it's a yeah, it does it yeah, it does it does a good job of establishing the, kind of the tone of the film throughout. I would say after having just recently watched it again, I right. did I did enjoy because I like Harry, Harry Gregson and Williams in general. So. so now talking about the the cast, which we've we've kind of done a little bit already, so we'll probably make uh, short work of this. Yeah, of course, Daniel Craig playing the lead character of Jake Lonergan, who wakes up in the middle of a field with this alien tech strapped onto his wrist with no memory of who he is or how he got there or what's going on. And I, I don't know that this was the best choice for this role. I mean, he, he doesn't really have the, I belong in a Western look to him. He seemed like he was kind of going for the man with no name Eastwood kind of, uh, you know, as few words as possible, kind of, you know, classic spaghetti Western type. Hero. It's a it's a mix of that. Yeah. Like he's trying to do some Steve McQueen, which because he obviously resembles Steve McQueen in a lot of ways, um, and from like Magnificent Seven, obviously. Um, and I mean, I like Craig. I I, I really bl- I don't I don't blame him for this role. Like I, I think it's kind of that. I was like, I gotta do one of these movies. Like he's Bond. You might as well take one of these other big action movies. And it's I I don't I don't think he's miscast in this role. I think he does what's required of him. I I could I couldn't. I couldn't pinpoint another actor in 2011 that I'd put in this role and, and say it would be better. Or, or, you know, right, so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill is Jake Lonnegan. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the character I, th- I, I liked a lot in this movie, and, it, and it's no surprise because you pretty much like him in just about everything he does, is Sam Rockwell as the character of Doc. My guess with this was it was it was trying to be maybe a clever reference to Doc Holliday. Yeah, easily. Mm-hmm. It, okay, so it just kind of 
I have to, so, I love Sam Rockwell, I'm a huge fan of Sam Rockwell, and part of why I dislike this movie is because it managed to make a Sam Rockwell character boring. Sure. And, <laughs> as, as good as good as he is, and he certainly tries, and like he's not, he's not like he's not bad as you know in terms of acting in this movie. I was, I'm just, I was just bored by his character. And if the movie has a boring Sam Rockwell, then that's just bone low for me. That was, of, that, was that was like an issue right there. That I had. If if I'm, so I, was, I was excited, I was like, oh, Sam Rockwell's in this. Boom! I'm like, that's another reason to be on board. And I just, he just plays like what the the emasculated bar owner who has to rise up and become the, 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 the gunfighter he always knew he was at his heart. <laughs> uh, yeah. As, as long-time listeners know, I have the same kind of, uh, you know, hetero man crush on uh, Clancy Brown that Johnny M has on Jason Statham. Boom. So if there's a movie with Clancy Brown in it and I don't like it as much as I don't like this movie, there are serious flaws in your movie. He's the best part. <laughs> Dude, Clancy Brown <laughs> yeah. is always gold. I mean, ever since I saw him at Pet Cemetery back in the day, I realized, you know, this is a good actor. <laughs> and he really is. He's, he's probably my favorite character actor. So I wanted to shout him out in this. I thought he was pretty decent. Agreed. Harrison, Harrison um, Ford's here, obviously. Yeah, Harrison Ford as Colonel Woodrow Dollarhide, who, I guess, don't call me Colonel Woodrow Dollarhide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I there's a time where if you put Harrison Ford in a movie, I would be all over it. And he, his character just commanded a performance, you know, just the, the physicality and the star power and everything else. And I really, how do I put this? There was a time when Harrison Ford was not in as much in the public eye. Like he seemed to have no sense of humor. He didn't like to do interviews. He was kind of secluded and he seemed to be a better actor. And now that he seems like he's willing to be in on the joke and open to interviews and public appearances and stuff like that, it seems like either the roles he's taking or the, or the performances he's giving just don't excite me. Like, like the old Harrison Ford did. He's got Robert De Niro disease. He he doesn't say no. He he doesn't say no to projects anymore. I think. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's, I I wouldn't call him Harrison among like these class, these, you know, more, legendary actors i wouldn't say harrison ford's becoming more prolific but i would say yeah you, you've seen you seen some more of him lately but that said i wouldn't put him in the still light status of like bruce willis where bruce willis is very obvious when he doesn't care yeah. i don't think harrison oh, yeah. ford chooses projects where he doesn't care about them I, that's true I, I just i just don't think he's you know he's certainly not you know he's not bringing up like you know he's not bringing up indiana jones he's not bringing up a member like the super memorable here and I think he just wanted to be in a western, which is fine, and like he does what he can, but yeah, he does stuff, he does suffer that kind of mumbly but angry kind of attitude in this movie. Yeah, I, I didn't get the impression he was phoning it in. I mean, we've talked recently about several Bruce Willis movies where to me it feels obvious he's just phoning it in and collecting a paycheck. I don't get that vibe, I just it just doesn't feel like the old Harrison Ford, and you know, part of that may be just a my, my taste changing maturing it could be the fact that he's a 70 year old man now he's not you know the 40 50 year old harrison ford i knew yeah exactly exactly so that i i guess we'll we'll speak more of that as as things go on olivia wilde as ella swenson and i think this was during the time when olivia wilde was in every movie that was uh being produced during what probably like 2009 to 2011 it seemed like if there was a movie in it that yeah she had she had she had a a couple of years where she was just like like uh, like Jude Law was like that like early two thousand yeah, right. he was in like he was in like six he yeah, was in like six yeah. movies in one year Jude Law okay, well, yeah, she, she she fits every yeah she was in here I got I got out of here in two thousand eleven uh, right like in two thousand I'll start with two thousand ten Tron Legacy Cowboys and Aliens the Change Up in Time on the Inside Butter like there's like, just nonstop movies with Olivia Wilde Butter was pretty funny. And, as a requisite girl character, too. Like, she never really plays much beyond, like, hey, we need a female. Right. Yeah, we need a female that's a little bit more than a bit part. Um, yeah. There are a lot of good uh, um, uh, character actors in there. Walton Goggins from Justified is yeah. in here. Oh, yeah. um, Keith Carradine, of course, classic you know, actor. I love Keith Carradine. Dude, yeah. I, I, I watched a really terrible movie uh, with him in it once just because he was in it. Uh, so I really like him. <laughs> um, 
you know, uh, Julio Cedillo, he's really good. I mean, we have a lot of really good character actors in the, in the cast here. Like I said, we were talking Adam, about Adam Beach. Yeah. If you need a native, if you need a yeah. American actor and not an older one, like West Studi, you get Adam Beach. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or if Lou Diamond Phillips yeah. is too is too old, you call him. Yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips is too old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, like we we're saying before, I'm sure a lot of the budget went to you know pay these actors. So. We also, yeah. of course, have um, no, uh, the last Airbender's Ong. Noah Ringer, that's, that's what they call him in that movie. Oh, yeah. As requisite child character. He's cursed. Yeah. He's cursed. And then, of course, as we mentioned, uh, Clancy Brown is Meacham, the, the, the pastor. And uh, the, the, the other couple other character actors I found in here with Buck Taylor, who played Wes Claiborne, and his his real-life son, Matt Taylor, played his, his son in the movie. Um, and Buck Taylor did a lot of, you know, westerns back in the day, Gunsmoke. Uh, you know, he's, he's been in a lot of just TV stuff. He's, he's been on Dallas, so he's been around forever. Um, and his son apparently is a well-sought-after stuntman. So he's done stunts for a lot of stunts for 24. He did stunts for Kill Bill Volume 2, Fast and Furious. So he's, he's primarily known as a stuntman more so than as, a, as an actor. And given his, the, the background role that his character played, I think that he, he's kind of one of those guys that serves as a dual purpose. But that pretty much rounds out the cast. So I guess we'll just talk about the movie movie as a whole. Um, okay. I'll start. I, I, I don't have a lot of notes uh, for this one. I don't have a lot of clips either. We've, we've got a clip uh, to play uh, in a bit here. But, you know, the, sometimes the superhero movies seem to be a little more, uh, you know, proper, have a, be a little more clip worthy. Um, this one wasn't really memorable from a, from a clip standpoint. I was, you know, I always watch these things and... You could have just stopped the sentence that uh, this movie really wasn't very memorable. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Like, I mean, it's based in like kind of, you know, it's based in the western genre, so it's it's focused sure. on visuals and like giving you you know, besides having the sci-fi element, of course, it's more, it's focused on giving you you know vistas and close-ups on you know eyes and know. people jumping on stuff, just you know the action stuff. Like it's not a movie about dialogue, which we'll get to. But. Right. You know what I noticed right off the bat is it, it it did feel like a western. I mean it it starts off for the most part as a western. I mean you go into the western town, it looked very much like like a western. Uh, the you know the grand scale, especially you know when they show uh, Daniel Craig's character when he kind of leaves the group, he's not going after these aliens, and he's gonna he goes back to this house that he remembers um, with the the girlfriend or the wife or whatever, and you know they kind of show him riding through, and then when he rides back. You know, very typical kind of interlude western scene where we get the grand vistas and the you know the wide shot cinematography and all that stuff. And I I thought it was very well shot. And I thought it 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 actually I thought it was a fairly decent western part of it. I think it just some of when the the alien stuff kind of came in, and then towards the end it seemed to get very cliched. You know where you know they they run across the Indian tribe and they're very like stereotypical. You know, Indi- you know, it's almost like this movie was made like in the 50s or something, you know, very stereotypical Indian tribe. And then, of course, in the end, they they help the heroes out and, and everything kind of works itself out. But I think I think and you guys are curious what you think, but I think the first half of the movie worked much better than the second half of the movie. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I just I just kind of it just felt like product rather than a story. You know what I mean? I just the whole movie just like smacked of toy tie-ins and and product and it just didn't really connect with me, you know, as a story so much. But I mean, I did like the way it looked. I mean, the DP did a great job and and very much giving me the look of, of you know the classic westerns, things like that. I just um, I don't know if I could say one half was better than the other when the whole thing is just kind of like, to me, a big plate of mashed potatoes with mayonnaise. It just seemed very bland and over. Overly thought out, overly wrought, and overly uh, commercial. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can say that I, I, I like the, the first like act of this movie, which is basically what the trailer shows you. You see, you know, Daniel Craig wakes up, he goes to town, things happen. Uh, with the with the exception of Paul Dano, who is an actor I'm not a big fan of, who is just <laughs> annoying as Harrison Ford's son, Percy. Um, <laughs> Besides all that, like I like the setup of this movie. And there's one thing that Cowboys and Aliens proves to me is that John Favreau should direct like a whole western and not just you know half of one. Um, but yeah, the movie, like Jim, you put it pretty well actually. It does feel like product. There's no real sense of awe in this movie that's about cowboys and aliens. And one of my biggest issues is that there are aliens in this movie, and 
no one really seems all that affected by that fact. I mean, they get the initial, yeah. like, wow, that was weird. Like, <laughs> I guess we got to go figure out what's going on, guys. But you don't really get it. Like, there are, we're, we're, what, 1860 whatever. What's the 650 something? And there's, there's, there's aliens from outer space that have invaded and are blowing things up. Yeah. I feel like there should be more of a reaction than just saying, is it demons? Ah, yeah. You know, what, baby? Yeah, whatever. Let's go after them, guys. Like, the, <laughs> yeah, I no, I had the exact same reaction. Even Daniel Craig, who has like an arm band that shoots plasma beams out, like I feel like I'd still be like more affected by this fact than just be like, well, there's another thing you're gonna worry about today, I guess. <laughs> it's just like there's not, there's not, there's not like that sense of discovery that you get from you know like kind of Spielberg '80s films, like you you get that from the Close Encounters and the ETs and even like Star Wars, like it's. there's a kind of there's a way to handle that approach that approach to film and it doesn't necessarily need to wink at you or tell you like we get what kind of movies we're doing guys but because it does play plays it completely straight which is fine like i would rather this movie play straight than you know be like a you know a jokey idea of this is like acknowledging how like silly this movie is and it is very silly but it's also it's it's silly without being fun and that's kind of my takeaway from here like no one really as I said, the, the whole alien eye side of this is not something that's played for played for something like, wow, there's aliens. We have aliens, guys. Like that's not something that's played up that much, and that kind of takes away from the fun you should have with a movie like this. It just it just kind of goes through a routine plot. All the characters are not all that interesting because you're just you're just told things about them, which is the biggest case I can say for that is Harrison Ford, who's who were like we're told it was supposed to be like this ruthless bandit character that like everyone's afraid of, but you never get that sense of Harrison Ford. Everyone like if anything, everyone just kind of apologizes for how nice he is once you finally see him on screen. Like yeah. and, 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 like and he's always like he, you see like he has this relationship with um, Adam Beach's character versus Caldano, like his own son, and it's like who's this ruthless guy that we're supposed to be like afraid of? Like that's never like it never seems dad. like an issue. Yeah. When it was a little too cliched, right? I mean, yes, you know, yeah. him and his him and his son are at odds, and he's this horrible person that, it, you know, we get the impression that he terrorizes the town and throws his weight around, and then this this crazy event happens, and everybody has to work together, and then at the end of the movie, he's the town's best friend, and yeah, you know, he's gonna be this, <laughs> yeah, he's he's he suddenly changed the way he you know was for the thirty years prior. It it just seemed very you know that's the part that really bugged me and seemed very cliched. And his heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the arcs of these characters, yeah, it just isn't very isn't very interesting. And now saying all this, it's not like I need a movie like Cowboys and Aliens to be this deep character study. That's not what I'm saying. But true, if I walk I walked to like a movie like Pacific Rim this summer. I don't recall what you guys thought of Pacific Rim. I think Jim likes it a lot. Russ, did you see Pacific Rim? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, that's a movie. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the one. I'm not gonna praise that character at all. I do think there's some beats there that work, but that's a movie that I admire for its spectacle and the fact that it had fun with it. And this movie, it doesn't have fun with it. On top of that, you have these great actors. You have Sam Rockwell. You have Clancy, Clancy Brown, Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford, and Olivia Wilde, who I think is talented, but she you know is in the right role. And they're just not giving you anything, and that's a, that's a, that's a case of screenwriting because like, you have all these great elements here. You have a movie called Cowboys and Aliens. That's just something that just screams fun at you. Like you can put fun on the poster and then just have a picture of a cowboy and alien and be like, I'd see that movie. Yet somehow we just couldn't make that work, and so that comes down to just who's writing this movie and why do we not check on why this works, why this isn't working? Well, to use your Pacific Rim example, plus. You know, I, I totally agree with you. They should have had a little more fun in this movie than, than there was. But also Pacific Rim was kind of, um, original take on these things. You know, I mean, it had, it had originality and creativity to it. And what really got me about this movie, it just, it just didn't. It just seemed like, you know, every, every scene in this movie, oh, that reminded me of this. You know, that reminded me of that. The, this seemed really lacking in originality or, or, or creative thought, you know. It had a couple. It, it had like a couple moments that of, of like Western tropes being applied to a sci-fi narrative right. that I thought were like kind of clever. Like you have in a Western, you have like the the hero jumps from his horse onto the the covered wagon, and this one you have Daniel Craig jumps from his horse onto an alien spacecraft, and that's like a scene yeah. where I'm like, yeah, all right, let's do more of this, and we just we don't really get any of that. We just right. kind of eventually level off into aliens shoot aliens and people shooting at each other, and the aliens are. Are we going to talk about, like, the special effects, like, another section of this? Is that another sure. thing coming up? Or... 
because yeah, yeah. like I'm just I, I was never like I, having just watched it again it just reminded me of how like non post I was by these aliens I mean something like this yeah. I wait for like when I like I said I got call back so many other movies when I saw like Independence Day for the first time there was something really cool about that alien once you finally saw it first you see you know ships and they're doing all crazy stuff then you open it up and like you see an alien come out you're like wow that's even more crazy like, you know the alien it opens up there's another alien inside the alien it's like there's a lot of cool things about this this yeah. just looked like big frogs fighting you it's like why do I want to fight frogs like what's going on <laughs> it seems like it's following the trope lately where all aliens have to be insectoid or insect like and. To me, it just seemed very, um, again, like nothing new. Like I was, I was hoping, even to make it more throwbackish. Like how, like looking at old, you know, I don't know, science fiction drawings or stuff, even from like the '40s and '50s, what people thought aliens would look like. You know, more like maybe like a Mars Attacks if they if they kind of went that route and just kind of put it in the context of what people thought these things were like closer to that time period than doing it from this is how technology really works and this is how all you know the, sh the ship would look like and everything else but i'm i'm just tired of the insect like aliens like that just you know we see it on falling skies and it just seems like movies lately that's just what we get and i th i think that we can do better than that yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a mix of generic design and just not threatening creatures that are, you know, behind the giant explosions and potential right. fall of the human race that bothers me. It's like, if, I, if, I, if I'm supposed to be threatened by this thing, show me something that's going to threaten me. Don't show me this bug-eyed thing that has, like, arms every now and then and just gets, seems to get really angry because it can't get its gold. <laughs> yeah. I did think it was cool, the spaceship design, though. It, it kind of camouflaged itself to look like the terrain. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, in terms of like the tech design, I'd agree with sure. that. I, I think the tech in this movie is pretty cool. Like, even like uh, the, his wristband, like the Daniel Craig wristband thing, which you find like you find out that it's like a medical tool or whatever or something like that. Like it's there's neat stuff involved in the logic of these aliens. Just the aliens themselves don't interest me. In any right, way. right. You don't either empathize with them or really hate hate them. It's just, it's just kind of a weird a, a weird dynamic with these creatures. What I, I did think was interesting from a, a film standpoint was all how they filmed the flashbacks. They were all, I don't know what the technical film term is for it, but... It's like a, it's like a saturated... Yeah, like overburned, yeah. you know, like they were... Yeah, yeah. You know, cranked up the, the brightness or whatever, and so it looked like they were kind of burned in, you know, old-timey, you, you know, kind of that... Uh, like on you, your smartphone having you know, these crazy filters on it. it. It seems like they shot this with one of those filters. It gave it a look that, you know, suggests kind of a, a sci-fi paranoia type yeah, thing. Going yeah. On. yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so I thought that was well done. And, and again, I think that just gets back to the issues not being with the look the look of the, of the film and the way it was filmed, but just more to do with the content. And I think it seems like where movies when we see movies that have all of these screenwriters on them, it, it seems like it's the end, it's the third act that really is where things kind of fall apart. And I think if, if this movie has any shortcomings, it's with kind of that that uh, end of second act and, and third act where it just didn't really... It, it wasn't just this really satisfying ending to it. I, I think the middle was too slow. I mean, the runtime on it was like an hour and 59 minutes. And, and I think... And there's an extended version for whatever reason that's like two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, and I saw that, and I watched that the second time, and I saw the regular version the first time, and I didn't notice anything. And I, granted, I didn't watch them back to back, but I didn't notice anything that stood out to me as like, oh, wow, that's something new. But the middle act, I think, really suffered. I think they could have edited it a little tighter and kind of wound, you know, wound it up. And, and that, you know, I think this movie could have easily been like an hour 40 instead of, you know, yeah. 2, oh, 210. Yeah. And I think it would have, whether or not that would have translated into increased box office, who knows? Um, you know, maybe a tighter, more uh, briskly paced movie would have not it not bothered people so much, or, you know, maybe it had given an extra screening a day and, and they'd have been able to, to kind of rake in a little bit more that way. But uh... it, it fits into what Jim was saying. I mean, it does feel like a product, and I think it's partially that long because you have all these characters in here because you're trying because the movies because you know universal is trying to appeal to everybody so it's like okay let's have a cute kid character let's have olivia wilde in here let's have some let's have a side 
character, or Nick is Mando, let's have some other uh, wife backstory, let's have Harrison Ford's backstory, and his son, really, like, it's trying to fit in all these different things, and I don't care about them, because there's not, you know, not, you can't distribute the time that effectively if you want to also still have crazy action sequences, right. and it just, none of it really, feel, it doesn't feel like a movie that was built on the wonder of this idea, it built like a film that was built on the, well, we got Cowboys and Aliens, we can make a blockbuster out of this. Let's hit the check. Let's find the checklist. Let's nail everything we can to make sure we get the most odd, the biggest audience possible. And audiences apparently were smart enough to be like, you know what? I don't really want this. I want something else. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It. I can I can pinpoint I can pinpoint one of my other frustrations with the movie too. So <laughs> I just think about this. Olivia Wilde's character. Again, I don't mind Olivia Wilde in movies. She's very attractive. She's a talented actress. So go see Drinking Buddies. Good movie. Um, her character. And I'm not even trying to spoil things, but you know that she knows everything that's the wrong with with Jake Lonigan's character. Yeah. She has that look in her eye every step of the way, and there is absolutely no reason, even especially after Aliens attack, that she should be holding back every bit of information that she has that would be very helpful to them at every step of the yeah. way. And that's that just that and that is poor screenwriting. <laughs> that is that is the screenwriter is literally holding back information just because it needs it to occur in the third act when they when they need it to be the time sort exactly. as opposed to. And it's just frustrating to watch it. I'm just sitting there, it's like, why is she not telling you what you need to know right now? There's nothing holding you back for this. And there she goes, not doing anything. Yeah, that's a movie trope. She's, she's even, I know, I'm sorry, she's, she's even like dying in one yeah. scene and doesn't spill, she doesn't spill the information that would especially be needed then because she's presumably not going to come back. And then she does come back and gives you all the information she needs to. It's like, why did you give me that like, while you were dying? I really could have used that. Well, I didn't know you were going back. Like, it's, oh my God. Yeah. Was it me or from a, I say, I say uh, special effects standpoint, not a visual effects standpoint, but when the aliens started attacking, and, and this sounds really bad, but it just made me it made me laugh more than anything. But when when everything was getting blown up, and you'd see these random horses like flying in the air, getting flung, yeah. it just cracked me up. It kind of reminded me like the the scene in Blazing Saddles when they when they blow the town up, and you see like one horse that's just flying like a hundred feet in the air and doing a spin. <laughs> it's like this shouldn't be really funny. Like some. <laughs> somewhere like PETA or some animal rights act organization is is going ballistic, even though it's all CG. But it just I just really found that funny to see these horses just flying in the air like that. I, I don't know. Well, see, that's and, and that's in that kind of superior first part of the film where you yeah I mean, yeah yeah. Aside, aside from Paul Dano, <laughs> um, yeah, the movie sets up this kind of cool like vibe of like who is Daniel Craig? What's going on with him? He can't even remember things. That's neat. Harrison Ford's here. It's this like creepy western going on of this power struggle versus of a man who clearly has control of the town versus a man with no memory. That's a cool idea. That's great. And then it just becomes even like more ambiguous because like lights are appearing and they start blowing up stuff and you cut that right there and it's like that was a neat short movie but then it goes on but yeah what you're saying there that, that's fun that's fun stuff i enjoyed those action that that early on action sequence because it sets up this weird mystery yeah. that you don't play i mean besides knowing the titles cowboys and you don't know what's going on it's like why do they take these people right. supposed to shoot right. everything right. what's going to happen and that here? was a cool effect too i mean and i think especially in that beginning sequence in the town it helps amp up the um, the urgency in it, you know, you kind of feel a little more towards the edge of your seat when, you know, the first time one of these people get wrapped and then, you know, taken away. And at first you're really not sure what's going on. Are they getting, you know, is it like a beam? Are they getting, are these hooks going into the person and they're just getting pulled out? And then, you know, we kind of see where it's this thing that just kind of wraps around and, and pulls them up. Uh, and I thought that was a, a, a really cool effect. And and I think they executed it well, where you really felt like, you know, obviously there was rigs and harnesses and stuff like that, but you, it made you really felt, feel like these people were getting sucked off into on these uh, drones or whatever they were and taken away. And it kind of helps with the mystery, like you said, Aaron, of, you know, what's really going on? Why are these people being taken? What's, you know, what's with all the chaos and everything? Yeah, and it's also, you know, it is fun to watch this kind of stuff. Like, it, it seems to have a, a right balance of, like, I mean, you're describing, like, horses fly through the air. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, again, I do think it's a silly movie, and I do think it has, I don't hate this movie by any means, by the way. You know, if I'm, if I'm sounding too frustrated, I'll be curious, to, be curious to listen back to my original review of this on my podcast of how I sounded on that one, because it has frustrating elements because I wanted it to be good, right. and I think it has all the elements it needs to be good. 
But I don't hate this movie by any means. I do think it has fun stuff in it. It's just not a good movie overall. But I mean, it's because it doesn't have enough fun stuff. It has sure. like moments of moments of inspiration that don't lead to a movie that's you know a cohesive whole that you really enjoy and want to see again. Sure. I, it took me a while to like watch this whole movie. I had to watch it like three parts. Wow. But yeah, it, it, in those like, in that early action sequence and the the horse jumping onto the alien show sequence like those are it has those fun moments that it like it knows what it's about because i mean that's john favreau right there that's him and you know his his crew and the visual effects designers sure. figuring out like how to how to make these action sequences work i have a clip um that i'll play because i think you know we talked about clancy brown earlier i think he was a great addition to the movie sadly he didn't make it uh, uh any further than he did but uh he did impart some words of wisdom and uh things to live by, I, I would say, or words to live by and things to think about. Um, so I will play that now. Only two kinds of men get shot. Criminals and victims. I've seen good men do bad things. Bad men do good things. Whether you're going to end up in heaven or hell, it's not God's plan, it's your own. Line your sights. When that target peeks up over the top, squeeze the trigger. Don't yank on it. It's not your right here. Look, you're holding on to this thing like you're hanging. So those kind of cracked me up. Uh, and and arguably, he, I, I, I guess Clancy Brown's character had the most profound uh, lines throughout the movie. But I, I just, I just kind of like his little, uh, you know, kind of uh, country, country bumpkin. You know, you that you expect that kind of a character to say those kinds of things, and and they just, it just kind of cracked me up. But it works, yeah, it works into the movie it, it's effectively as it needs to be, it's a mix of both being Clancy Brown and because the film it, it knows that it, I wish it had more of that more yeah, of that yeah, kind of, yeah, he seems he seems to, it's not being in on the joke necessarily but he's in on the movie he's in right? and, the, and those scenes seem to be in on the movie that they're in, and you know, I mean if, if episode seven's calling for an, an older Jedi character that we haven't seen yet, I, I'd be sure to have it oh Clancy man, that would be great, I would love to see <laughs> yeah. delivering lines like that, that would be <laughs> Yeah, that would be awesome. Still my favorite Lex Luthor. Yes. He, he, as much far. as I love Hackman and everything else he ever did, he, I never thought he was a good Luthor. But... Hackman? <laughs> <laughs> and like, here's the point, that's a funny line too, I wish you had the clip for that, where like, they, where Olivia Wilde says, they want our gold. <laughs> and here's the point, like, for what? They want to buy something? And it's just like the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so that was that was the lone clip i i pulled from the episode like i said i just I, you know i i just didn't really find anything super clip worthy that would either be thought-provoking or worth you know really talking about not that it's not a quotable movie <laughs> that that's for sure yeah, i mean if the if, if Harrison Ford's character was more you know important to me or like more effective I'd say we should play that clip of him talking to Adam Beach or talking to Hong from The Last, the Last Airbender yeah. or like what kind of man he is with. I mean they're just it's just kind of trite stuff it's like well I, I had to I had to stop being a soldier and start wearing a leader like it's just nonsense stuff. it's yeah, just right. like yeah I get it or it was like really long like a couple of them I thought about um, but then it's like they're like three minute long clips and you know just because it's characters telling you about somebody yeah. instead of the characters showing you <laughs> who they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, brother. Um, I, one of the other aspects I, I, I really enjoyed, and again, not, not so much from a... It has nothing to do with story or character or anything, is the sound design on it. And I think the way that the, the ships came in and the, and the you know just, just the, the whole sound mix and sound design, I thought, was really well done. The, you know, the sounds the weapons made, the, the alien craft made... Um, you know, even that, you know, kind of slingshotty effect of, of the characters getting roped up and, and hauled off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, I mean from, from these, these technical sandpoints, aside from my complaints about the alien design, I mean, yeah, it, it's a it's a well-produced film. I mean, it's a, it's a big universal blockbuster. Sure. It should look good, it should sound good, and it has all those elements in spades. And yeah, I do like the, there, again, I like the tech in this movie, and I like how there is creativity involved in, you know, bringing that stuff to life. It may not be like, I don't know, like District 9 good, but I mean, it's, right. it's certainly, you know, it fits for what the movie is, and it's doing the best it can in, in that department. Agreed. 
I didn't see any R2-D2s, though. So. <laughs> so what else? Anybody got anything else to say? <laughs> Not really. I don't, I don't know what uh, Cowboys and Aliens do for a few Cowboys more. I don't know if that's going to work. Probably not. I mean, a fistful of aliens. A fistful, yeah, there you <laughs> go. I, uh, I, I will say this, though. I, I watched it the first time, and I just was... I To me, I think it was a bit of a letdown because I think my expectations were a little bit higher for it. You know, like you said, Aaron, it, it was you know very high on your list of you know, movies coming out that's, yeah. yeah, and I think for me it was kind of the same way. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it after it came out on a Blu-ray, and a lot of it just had to do with it. Mediocre, not not just critical reception, but but fan reception as well, and uh, so I was just kind of like, yeah, it was okay. I found on the second watch-through, I enjoyed it more, and I'm not sure if maybe I just kind of, movies are funny sometimes and and a lot of it is just mood right i mean you could see a really crappy movie and if you're in the right mood to catch it at the right time it could just really speak to you um and and i won't say that you know this falls into that category but i i found myself enjoying it more on the second watch through than i did on the first and uh i was a little less uh, critical of it on on rewatch than i was on initial watch that's certainly that's certainly fair and it's just it's the kind of thing where it just sits there in the middle. Like I, I've never, I don't think I've ever thought about this movie until we kind of brought it up again because it's nothing. There's nothing special about it. If it's on TV, yeah, and you like happen to see it, like sure, you might like stick around and watch it for a while. I do that with movies all the time. I do that with, what, what's it like? Martin Lawrence's Blue Streak. For some reason, it comes on like TBS all the time, and I'm always like, whatever, I'll just put that on in the background. <laughs> that was an alien. Yeah, if I, if I if I like a group of friends together and we like had a handful of movies, and so for some reason I chose Cowboys, or like whatever, I wouldn't choose it. <laughs> so I chose Cowboys and Aliens. Um, I'd probably be like okay with just having it on. I'd be on my phone or whatever. I wouldn't watch it the whole way through. But like. It, it, it's a movie that just kind of sits there, and it's like, yeah, it's not that bad. And again, I don't hate this movie by any means. I give it like two and a half. It's like it's you know, it's a it's a little bit below average. Like it's it's a movie that's fine. It's just there's so much, there's so many good, there's so many talented people be, behind this thing where it's like you could make something better. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, you would, I mean, you would get John Favreau. It was it was a very talented. I, I've been I've liked John Favreau since Swingers, and I'd like to, I'd like to step into the you know filmmaking side too and then you have you know daniel craig who's james fucking bond and you have Harry, you know, legendary harrison ford and you, and you have sam rockwell as i've said and clancy brown as you guys have said and you know you have the as much as like i feel like the kurtzman orsi duo like makes fine movies i mean a lot of people like the action sci-fi movies that they've been like you know, a ton of people love the star trek movies like there's all these people involved that they make into great things and this just isn't one of those things but despite having the people that make those good to great things so it's yeah it's fine but it's yeah it's just hard to be like i it's hard to like work up enthusiasm for, for it just one of those things where you know you expect more you know? yeah 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 expect more with this with this caliber of of writing and, and this caliber of acting and directing you just expect a better outcome it's the kind of thing where, like, you know, you have friends who are like, you want to see Cowboys and Aliens? That sounds silly. And I want to be the guy that can throw it in their face and say, you know what? I saw Cowboys and Aliens. And other guy turned into Joe Wade. I saw Cowboys and Aliens. And, like, and people saw it too. We all had fun and you guys are wrong. But I wasn't. Like, I had to eat crow. I heard it eat crow. I had to eat the opposite of crow. The opposite it's of pigeon. Crow. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and it's like, put you know, like, my sandwich in my legs and say, you guys are right. I said, I was like that about Hulk, too. I remember seeing I was really excited for Hulk. And that's, I, I, if we're ever on the wheel for Hulk, I'd love to be on that show. But the, uh, that movie, because I think it's very interesting, I think Angley did a very fantastic job directing a movie that's not that good. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because of everything involving Nick Nolte, essentially. But we'll get to that. I guess we'll get to that in some other, yeah. some other episode of Really Across. Yep, but, it's on the list. But, uh, I even like Lone Ranger this summer. I wanted to be like, you know what? You guys are wrong. It was great, but it wasn't. Like it, and that's relates more to sci-fi and cowboy territory. But it's certainly not wild, wild west bad. But it's certainly not you know Pacific Rim fun summer good. Right, so. right. So all that said, uh, I guess we'll do we'll do ratings out of ten. So Jim, you go go first. Give us give us what you think. I will give this a four out of ten. As uh, I said, okay. it just. It just seemed very average. Um, I'm sure the the word toyetic was used a lot in the meetings about this movie. Uh, sure. <laughs> it just seemed it just seemed like it was very focused, groupy, and uh, 
you know, they, they started with something I, Aaron makes an excellent point about. They, it could have been a lot more fun to have like little glimmers of, of fun in it, of, of what it could have been, but it just really wasn't that. And I think it's almost sadder that, you know, that you had all these talented people working together and this is what they ended up with rather than, you know, I don't know. Uh, if Joel Schumacher came in and did Cowboys and Aliens, I mean, I, I I wouldn't be as disappointed if it was a bad movie as I am Favreau. Does that make sense? <laughs> Joel Schumacher. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> There's probably nipples on all the chaps and whatever. But anyway, if you, if you really cool, we'll listen. oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> yes. Oh man, yeah. What a frightening movie that is. Uh, but it just seemed really, really bland, especially for all the people that were in it. So four out of ten. Mr. Newworth. I will give it a five Harrison Ford grumbles out of ten. I, <laughs> I mean, it's as much as, I, if I, as I've gotten the most worked up I think I have ever heard about Cowboys and Aliens. Um, I, I, don't, I by no means think it's a terrible movie. I think there's a good premise there that just wasn't delivered on. Fair enough. I will be the most kind. I give it a six and a half. I, I think it was better than better than average, um, but definitely not great by any stretch. Uh, it's it's one of those you know if I saw it in a five dollar Blu-ray bin I'd probably pick it up just uh, you know just for the eye candy of it if nothing else and uh, you know probably some cool special features and behind the scenes stuff and maybe some Favreau commentary which which is usually good but yeah just kind of kind of mediocre so I guess with that said we all know what time it is now oh my the wheel time. It's time to spin the wheel of morality. Time to spin the wheel. I'm so excited. I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> the wheel has spoken. And Jim, I think you will actually be pleased with this one. Oh, um, man. Really? Seriously. Seriously. We'll see. It is the Roger Corman. Fantastic Four movie. Ooh. Oh, why would I be pleased? Because <laughs> that's one of those movies that you would love that you love to hate. Uh, yeah, I it's do so love bad. a good bad movie. You're right. Yes, this is this is an intentionally for for all intents and purposes a bad movie, and I think this will be awesome to talk about, especially given its history and the fact that it was officially never seen. So. This will be an interesting one to acquire and watch, but it is out there. Hmm, interesting. Yes. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be happy not to, uh, not to join in on that. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna miss that one. Uh, this will, Yeah, I think this will be a fun one to deconstruct. I, I really do. Um, I, I've, I have seen this before. Have you? Have you, I was gonna say, have you actually watched it? Because I have. Yes, I have. I have. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of cringeworthy but awesome at the same time because it's so cringeworthy. So, yeah, so th- I think this will be a lot of fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun. But I am happy to uh, to discuss this. So it'll it'll continue the trend lately of, I, I don't know what we'll do when we actually, I mean, we've had a couple really good ones in there, but I don't know what we're going to actually do when we spin the wheel and it comes up with just a, a really stellar uh, flick. But uh, Yeah, that hasn't, we'll probably, we had, hasn't really been a problem so far. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. But, <laughs> Uh, you never know. Let's deal with that problem. What are you talking about? You guys talked about Blade Trinity. Oh, I'm sorry. Classic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I hate that. You guys are too <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Um. So, anyway, that, that about wraps it up for Real Heroes for this month. Aaron, thanks for popping in. Sure. And uh, as always, you can check out Aaron's stuff at hhwlod.com. He does the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast where they talk about new movie releases and typically throw a bonus episode in every week to either do some sort of commentary or... Just, you know, an extra, whatever extra is kind of laying out there for them to pick up on. Um, yeah, we actually have a special bonus guy. I can't really delve into it yet, but a little, little nice thing coming up that I'm excited about. Cool. Um, and, of course, uh, you yeah. can check the rest of us out on the other shows we do on the network, Walking Dead TV Podcast, um, of course, Long Walks of Doom, uh, Half Hour Wasted, The Shield Podcast, the black box, all kinds of great stuff at hhwlod.com. Check us out on iTunes. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, search up Real Heroes on iTunes. Leave us an iTunes review. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, if you want to send us an email, send it to realheroes at hhwlod.com. We'd love to read some feedback. Um, we do have a Real Heroes group on Facebook, so you can 
like that group and uh, keep track of what we got going on on the Facebook page uh, and leave comments for episodes. We'd love to, to spin some feedback back to the listeners on the show. Can I make one more, uh, one more plug? Absolutely. Um, I, I did just start up the Ippipod Cranecast. Oh, yes. Based on the Fox, the Fox Sleepy Hollow series. And that show, the first couple episodes were written by Alex, uh, Alex Kurtzman and Robert Rupert. So uh, we're tying it all together, but yes, it is a Sleepy Hollow. It's it's a fun, it's a it's a silly show, like I said for Cowboys and Aliens, but it's also a lot more fun, which didn't well, it wasn't like Cowboys and Aliens. And uh, me and uh, Brandon and Max were happy to uh, happy to talk about that show on a weekly basis. And it's been renewed for a full second season. Yeah, so now 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 we have to stick with doing this show. You're in for two years at least. <laughs> yeah, that's some job security there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Like we said, uh, next Real Heroes will more than likely be Roger Corman's fantastic, the, the Roger Corman's never released Fantastic Four movie. So until next time, this is Russ for Jim and Aaron. Take it easy. Bye, everybody. Adios.